Well, what do you think? I mean, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, if it stinks, it stinks. It smells bad for everybody. Smell bad for you? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do? Make excuses for him? And, and let me ask the obvious question. Last week you said, obviously, Henry's still the starter. Is he still the starter? Yeah, what? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I said, we have two really good quarterbacks. We had a chance to win. We didn't get it done. We'll go back to work tomorrow, uh, and we'll go to fixing it. And that's what we're, we're going to do. A um, lot of football season left, whole heck of a lot of football season left. And i tell you what, I saw a bunch of fighters in that locker room, a bunch of friggin' fighters on the sideline. And uh, that's a football team that's going to continue to improve and get better. They're going to fight to improve and get better. I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I know we're going to fight. Quarterbacks are like dogs. I mean, if you throw them a treat, then they respond. You know, they'll – they get smiles on their face, their tails wag, and you know, and then uh, you know, and then pretty soon they'll they'll be a little more affectionate towards you as far as throwing the ball your direction. You see, and we played some pretty good teams and beat some pretty good teams. You know, so we're we're headed that direction. We got a long way to go, but tonight sure was nice. Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that. SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this episode, but don't worry. Reached out to my buddy Jake Wimberly, host of the Afternoon Drive, ESPN Mississippi 105.9 out of Jackson. He's going to join the show in just a minute. I think you guys will really enjoy the conversation we had talking a lot of uh, what's going on in the state of Mississippi as, as well as uh, around the SEC after last week's action and heading into this week. So got a lot to talk about on this show. So let's get right into it. And, you know, not a ton of news, to be honest with you, in the SEC here on Wednesday. But we did have some news from the NCAA that's going to affect every single SEC team. So I thought we'd start with that. The NCAA has officially announced that they have passed the rule that has been rumored for several weeks and that is to allow teams to sign up to seven extra players. So let me break all this down for you because it's a little confusing. So this is a one-time deal, football scholarship limits. If you're not familiar, most of you I assume are though, programs are allowed to sign 25 scholarship players a given year. And typically how that you used to do that would be high school players and junior college players and that was it. And now, of course, we've got transfers. Transfers are running rampant in the sport. So now there have been coaches that instead of signing 25 high school or junior college prospects, they've been saving spots, so to speak, because you just never know who's going to pop up in the portal. I know Alabama did this last year. For, they held a spot or two, and that's how they got Jamison Williams and Henry Toa Toa. So they had spots for those guys. So that's just one example. But this is really becoming an issue, and that compounded by the fact you got programs like Tennessee, especially, that's the one that comes to mind, and, and South Carolina is another good example. New head coaches coming in, a lot of transfers out. You got to make sure that everybody is on an even playing field as possible. You want to have everybody at an 85 scholarship limit. So these additional scholarships, again, it's a total 
of seven you can add with this new rule. So theoretically, teams can sign 32 players in a given year. But here's the catch. You cannot go out and sign 32 high school prospects. That's not how it's going to work. It's going to work like this. 25, as always, high school, junior college prospects signed during the early signing period and the traditional National Signing Day in February. That, they're going to keep it exactly the same. Now, here's the deal. After, and this is key, after the early signing period, which is in mid-December, if a player transfers out of your program, you can essentially replace him with a transfer, and it won't cost you an extra scholarship. So you're using one of your seven to replace a transfer with another transfer, if that makes sense. So the seven extra they're giving you, they all have to be transfers. And why that is important, so in reality, when this pass, it's interesting. I don't really know why they've done it this way, but for example, Tennessee, that's the one everyone thinks of because they were just ravaged by the transfer portal. Josh Heupel does not currently have seven extra guys that he can add via the transfer portal to go along with 25 high school, junior college signees. And here's the reason why. They're only allowing you to do this this season, and the guys have to transfer out after the upcoming signing period. So I don't really understand why they've done it this way when you're trying to help a program like Tennessee, like a South Carolina. But what this is really going to do is help the next batch of coaches that come into a program and suffer all these transfers. And, of course, there's going to be players that transfer out in the SEC. We all know that. I'm not being naive. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of wish they would allow the, the programs that have already been hit with defections from the transfer portal an opportunity right away to make up for those. But it is what it is. And also it should be noted that this is only a one-time deal. This is not going to be every year. At least that's what they're saying right now. They're going to consider this moving forward. Here's the exact wording from the NCAA. Council members acknowledge the solution was temporary but necessary. A more permanent solution will be considered in the coming months. So again, programs, same as always. You can sign 25 scholarship guys in the early signing period. And if you want to combine that with the National Signing Day, and then once players start transferring out at the end of the season, you can, if you lose seven guys to the portal, you can add seven guys, and it's not going to affect that 25 scholarship limit. So overall, this is a great thing. I just wish it, uh, you know, a little bit they would have it retroactive to where programs that were really hit hard, you know, you can kind of mitigate those losses if need be because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a player safety issue and. And hell, all these first-year coaches in the SEC could use all the help they can get already being behind the eight ball and in so many other aspects. So nice move by the NCAA. Just wish uh, – I kind of – and I don't, I don't honestly see why you're not allowed to sign 32 high school prospects. I guess this is just more of a strictly a transfer portal issue and they're worried about prospects getting stuck in the portal and things like that and, and with the people jumping in and out. But – I don't know if um, it's going to be as big of an issue moving forward because last time we checked, I think there's about 2,000 prospects in the portal that don't have anywhere to go. So 
what is seven more spots going to help you? I, I would have liked to seen this just be 32 across the board, no restrictions, 32 high school prospects if you wanted to. But, hmm, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. At the end of the day, I think this is a good thing, but I'm just not 100% sure on why they placed all these restrictions on it. But all right, hey, some quick hitters before we get to our interview with uh, Jake Wimberly. Wanted to note here. Big news, at least uniforms. I'm not a huge uniform guy, to be honest with you, but I notice uh, so many are. So we'll get with this one right off the bat here. But Tennessee unveiled they're going to wear black uniforms this Saturday against South Carolina for the noon game. And interesting, a lot of fans upset that uh, they're not holding these out for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. We got a night game on Rocky Top here in the coming weeks, so... Interesting decision here. You're breaking them out for a noon game against South Carolina. And, you know, we'll flash here on the YouTube. We'll show you the uniform for you to check out. Interestingly, they got the white helmet to go along with the black uniform. But as uh, Jason Swain, friend of the show, host of the Swain event there in Knoxville, breaks it down, they were trying to get black helmets but unable to get them due to uh, all the COVID and, and everything that goes into that. I guess it just there were issues just getting everything in line to make the helmets in time for the season. So that explains that. But aside from that, I mean, I think it looks pretty great. And like I said, I'm not a huge uniform guy. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with uh, who wins the game, obviously, or, or how these players feel. I guess it could give them some extra energy. But, you know, going back to what I said, I've seen so many Tennessee fans upset. They wanted this to be the night game attire. They it made sense. Lane Kiffin was the coach last time Tennessee wore black jerseys, the only time Tennessee wore black jerseys. So in some regard, it makes sense. But for me, a couple of things. You know Lane Kiffin would have made this all about himself if they wore him <laughs> for the Ole Miss game. Uh, you know, he would have had some kind of wisecrack about, you know, every time they wore the black, he's in Neyland Stadium, something. He would have trolled him in some way, and I don't think you want that. And also, no disrespect to uh, the Gamecocks, but Tennessee, if you're pulling out something like this, you got to win the ball game. And it's much more likely, I'm not saying it's a lock or anything, but it's much more likely, I think even South Carolina fans would admit that Tennessee could beat South Carolina than Tennessee beating Ole Miss. And that's not to say the Vols can't beat Ole Miss, but... I just think, uh, you know, you're a 10.5-point favorite against South Carolina. We'll see where that spread is for the Ole Miss game. I don't think it's going to be anything quite like that. So just something to consider. I think Tennessee really, you know, they need to have this be a good weekend and, you know, get away from the Kiffin potential troll and just go out there and you're, you're right now you got momentum. This will give it to you. And there's no Halloween game or anything after Ole Miss, Tennessee's on the road two weeks in a row. So you couldn't really break this out during Halloween either. So I got no problem with it. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see what Tennessee looks like on the field with these black jerseys. All right, skipping down to Baton Rouge real quick. My honor to present the national championship trophy to coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Unfortunate news, Derek Stingley has officially had his surgery. And here's a statement from the All-American Corner. I appreciate all the support from LSU and the fans. I'm doing all that I can to return to the field as soon as possible. I want to finish out the season with my teammates, and I will do everything I can to get healthy so that I will be able to play again this year. LSU has said no time 
table for Derek Stingley to return. And now that, uh, you know, we're a couple weeks into the season here, they even delayed this surgery. I mean, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I guess he had to be evaluated and all that, but it took us a good two weeks to have this procedure. So the fact that it was kind of delayed, the fact that he's actually, you know, had it, I don't know. I think we've probably seen the last we're going to see of Derek Stingley in an LSU uniform. Clearly his statement there says he's going to work to get back, but you know, he's a, you got to assume he's a lock to be a first round NFL draft pick. It's hard to see him risking any of that on the field, but I hope we haven't seen the last of them. We'll see, but uh, no idea what the timeline is for a foot surgery. Like, yes, you got to imagine it's several weeks and here we're at the midway point of the season. So, you know, it's interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, one other thing here, another injury news. Hate to share this, but M-I-Z! Missouri cornerback, they have announced Enos Rakeshaw, one of their better defensive backs, tore his ACL in practice this week. So he's out for the season. And, man, that Missouri defense, the past defense is certainly a lot stronger than uh, the run defense. And now you lost – Arguably your most talented guy back there. I know they have the two trouted, two touted transfers from Tulsa back there, uh, Evans and Green, who you could argue probably better than Rake Shaw, but he's got massive, massive potential. He's the one that the viral clip of uh, Eli Drinkowitz going bananas when they beat Alabama for the recruitment of Enos Rake Shaw. So sucks to see him go. And that is the last thing you need in Missouri there is your defense to get potentially even weaker following this news. All right, so that's all I got. Like I said, it's kind of a slow day in the SEC. So let's kick it over to our interview with Jake Wimberly of the Afternoon Drive. Well, we're pleased to once again be joined by my buddy Jake Wimberly. Gotta give him a follow at Jake Wim. And, of course, he's the host of the Afternoon Drive for ESPN 105.9 out of Jackson. And he also owns CFBHourglass.com. Jake, for joining me once again, I really do appreciate it. Michael, always a pleasure uh, to to be with you and to be with your team. Y'all are continuing to crush it. And what a fun, interesting football season we've had so far. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. And I really wanted to have you this week after Mississippi State's big win there at Kyle Field, Will Rogers, I think he had the best game he's ever had as a member of uh, Mississippi State. And this comes not long after, you know, some fans questioning whether he's even the right guy for the job. And I know your relationship goes uh, way back with Will Rogers. What did you think of uh, his big game? And is this just the start of, of more of these performances from Will Rogers? Totally excited for Will uh, on a personal level because, like you said, I mean I've known the, the young man since he was a you know a youngster, know his father and great family and and uh, just great people and and glad to see the game starting to to slow down for him. You can tell it's it's really starting to slow down. I mean he's done a nice job at Mississippi State. A lot of people forget he's only nine ten starts this thing. He got cast into you know action as a, as a freshman last year when K.J. Costello uh, just could not get it done for Mike Leach. Youngest quarterback, I believe, Mike Leach has ever started. Does not like typically starting guys uh, as freshmen or sophomore. Mm-hmm. But I thought Saturday, I thought the game really slowed down for Will. He was able to to take some shots down the field. And, and look, the chemistry that him and Makai Polk have, have developed at Mississippi State, Washington State transfer, and Mike Leach spoke 
candidly about Makai and the recruiting process this week in his, in his press conference and how, you know, hey, look, this guy's an absolute player. He may not be the biggest or the fastest, but he's a very savvy player, knows how to run routes. That connection and chemistry between Will and Makai and some of the other receivers is really starting to pay dividends and, and, and really did against Texas A&M on the road to go into a really hostile environment and grab a, a much-needed win for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and what a scene that was in Kyle Field. I mean, those fans almost willed the Aggies back in that one. But, of course, Mississippi State's defense came up big there to secure the win. How surprised are you to see Texas A&M sitting here at 3-2, and two, hosting Alabama this weekend? So there's a good bet the Aggies are going to be 3-3 three and three by Saturday night. How big of a surprise is that to you? It's actually a pretty big surprise, considering all of the hype coming in the season. And, and just knowing that Texas A&M has top five talent in the country, and, you know, Jimbo Fisher was extremely, I think you and I spoke of this uh, back during the summer a couple times, extremely confident in his team, vocal in, in public, at public settings about his team. And, you know, a lot of people had referenced the last time he was this confident was when he had Jameis Winston at Florida State. They went on to win the national title. So you thought, okay, this team is going to be a team that really is going to not only press Alabama, they're going to they're gonna press for the national championship this year. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, their starting quarterback goes down against Colorado, and it's like everything has really kind of gone to the wayside, they can't really move the football in the air, which, you know, really puts the burden on Isaiah Spiller. He is not having the year that they, you know, anticipated that he would have. So it it really is interesting to see uh, the struggles at Texas A&M. And, and, and again, like you said, they it doesn't get any easier this weekend with Alabama coming in. And Alabama, I figure, will beat them as bad as they want to beat them down there this week. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, disappointment, last weekend certainly was for the Ole Miss Rebels. I was dumb enough to pick Ole Miss to go in there and beat Alabama. But uh, what are your thoughts on on what we saw last week from Ole Miss? And do you think they got exposed a little bit? Or do you think they bounced back this week against Arkansas? Interesting game this week against Arkansas. You know, both Ole Miss and Arkansas got knocked down on the mat and never got up. And, you know, it's going to be fun to see which one of these two teams can get up off the mat and and respond the quickest. Uh, You know, I've got to give the slight edge to Ole Miss just because they're at home. But in reference to the game at Alabama, you know, I think what we saw was the the difference, the talent differential really take place. And, you know, Matt Corral, really good quarterback, has not performed his best football uh, on the road in his career at Ole Miss, struggled at Memphis two years ago, uh, did pick up a win at Vanderbilt in, in Kentucky last year, mm-hmm. uh, a heck of a game at Kentucky, but then lost at LSU in Arkansas, had a pretty nice day. But I, I think what you saw – was, you know, and a lot of people gave Lane Kiffin, um, you know, a lot of grief. And, and I was kind of one on the fourth down call. But after thinking about it, you know, the second fourth down call where Alabama was up seven to nothing and then they go on to make it 14 to nothing, that was kind of the ball game at that point. And, but if you look at it, I think Lane knew, hey, my defense probably can't bail us out here. The only thing that can bail us out is our offense. So he went with, you know, what they had, you know, kind of the thing that got them there. You know, I don't know that you would call them exposed. They're a team that could, finish second, third, who knows, maybe fourth. Uh, we'll see what the pecking order, you know, kind of falls out, uh, like in the SEC with Auburn. Looks like they're a little better than we thought. But I think what you saw is, is Ole Miss still needs another year in recruiting. He's got to get a little better on the defensive side. And, you know, as good as some of those playmakers are, there's still some improvement there to be made, uh, you know, in the recruiting process. And I think what you saw is just a true talent differential takeover in the ballgame and a very hostile place where Alabama rarely loses. Mm-hmm. Now, I really, I know uh, you have a long history there covering uh, that state and Dan Mullen. We all know the uh, the shorts game that he lost there against uh, what was it, South Alabama. Well, 
he wasn't wearing shorts Saturday night in Lexington, but he sure as hell coached like he was. Uh, how surprising was it to, to see Dan Mullen with all these, uh, you know, questionable tactics here on the road to Kentucky? And you, you could certainly say, you know, I think Dan Mullen's a hell of a coach, but I could certainly think that, uh, you know, he cost his team a victory there against Kentucky. You know, Michael, watching that whole game unfold, sitting there, and I was just thinking, man, we've seen this in the state of Mississippi before. And and that's not a knock at Dan Mullen. Like you said, he's a really good coach. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Mississippi State really owes, you know, a, a lot of gratitude towards Dan Mullen. I mean, he was able to take them through the best 10-year run that they've ever had. And it was a heck of a run. Now, there was some mistakes along the way, like a lot of coaches make. But I think what we've seen out of Dan Mullen, and fair or unfair, I think we can start to say that Dan Mullen is is honestly not a big moment coach. Um, you know, we saw him with the, with the play call against Alabama a couple weeks ago, going for two, uh, you know, going for it on two the two point conversion. I think mm-hmm. everybody in the building plus Alabama knew that he's going to run the zone read. That's the play that he loves on short yardage. He doesn't change a lot of stuff up. Um, he has folded before in big moments. You know, I can remember when Mississippi State went over to Alabama. Um, back when Dak Prescott was there and they were number one in the country, there was some major Mullen moments early in that ball game that got them behind um, 18 to nothing. So, you know, Mullen is a really good coach, but watching that Kentucky game, we've seen that kind of stuff before. And it's, again, it's not a slight at Dan Mullen. I mean, some guys are, are really good hitters, but you don't want them at the plate in the biggest moments. And I'm just, I am of the belief Mullen is not a big moment coach. And I think that showed up again against Kentucky on Saturday. Now, I know you've been high on Georgia all offseason, as have I. And, of course, Alabama's just the machine. They've always been there under Saban. Are you seeing any possible landmines for either program, just strictly speaking, in the SEC uh, regular season this year? You know, Alabama, I don't think, is is as dominant. I think I think we can all say this, as they were last year. However, they're still a, a lot better than most everybody in the country. Right. But the thing that it concerns me if I'm an Alabama fan is – there has been a propensity to be able to run the football on on Alabama. And if you swing that to the Georgia side of things, you know, I, I was almost of the belief coming into this year that we were beyond the age of great defenses can win you championships. You know, Nick Saban kind of spoke of this um, in, in a media hit back, I think, in March or April of, of, you know, how used to you could hold a team to 14 points. And if you scored, you know, 21, typically, if you could hold them to 14, you're going to win every time, obviously. But now defenses have changed, offenses have changed, and, and the defense, you know, the defensive side of the ball is different. However, Georgia is playing at such a, a high rate and a clip defensively, and they can run the football. I think for the first time in a long time, maybe ever since we've seen, you know, Kirby Smart square off against uh, Nick Saban, that Georgia probably has the advantage. The, you know, because they have the advantage at the line of scrimmage, they can block it, they can run it, they can they can stuff it. However, if, if I'm Georgia, I, I still feel like there may be some limitation to quarterback. How far can Stetson Bennett take you? Um, you know, I, I think it was the Alabama game last year. He kind of imploded uh, in the second half. You know, how, how elite can he be? But if Georgia can continue to, to run the ball and they get a healthy JT Daniels, who can come back and, and be, you know, a, a serviceable quarterback along with Bennett. They kind of tag team this thing. The way they run the ball and play defense – they may not have to. We may see Georgia win the national championship without elite quarterback play, something that I kind of thought we were we were out of the era of, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, big game here in Lexington. We, we talked a little Kentucky, but LSU traveling to Kentucky, another night game for the Wildcats. 
And I, if I'm not mistaken, Ed Orgeron has only lost consecutive games once in his career at uh, as LSU's head coach, that is. How bad does uh, Coach O need this one? And, and do you think, man, I, I hate putting coaches on the hot seat and saying they have to win to get fired, but just looking at the schedule, I mean, this, this seems like a must win for Coach O and his LSU program. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's an absolute must win for Ed Orgeron. I mean, look, there, there's – there's three knockouts that we're looking at Saturday night. We're looking at Tyson Fury and, and, and Deontay Wilder, if you're a boxing fan, who's going to get knocked out possibly. And then Ed Orgeron, can he get knocked out by Stoops in Kentucky? Because, Michael, if he loses on the road at Lexington, this is it. Because I, I think it is. I mean, all of the stuff going on off the field, Ed Orgeron has kind of lost his luster with the media, the stick of Go Tigers. And all that was cute and fun when they were winning a national title. I think people have grown tired of that. Just some of the hiring snafus he's had, some of the issues with talent not panning out. Um, it's still a good football team, but it's not LSU. It's not what LSU fans want. It's not what that administration wants. And this is going to be a hornet's nest that he's going into. I mean, LSU talent-wise goes in with better talent. And obviously they've got Stingley Jr. and some others that are that are on the shelf for this ballgame. But he's got to win this game. I, I don't see how he makes it if he goes on the road and loses to Kentucky because, like you said, if you look down the schedule, it doesn't get any easier for LSU this season. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing for you, Jake. You know, I, this may be the toughest week, I think, in the SEC to pick games against the spread. Maybe that's just uh, because the, the odds makers get better as uh, more information comes along. But is there one game in particular that uh, you, over at uh, CFB Hourglass, maybe favor over any other game against the spread this weekend in the SEC? Wow, that's a great question, and I'll be putting out shameless plug, Wims Winners, uh, where we are, 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 are gradually getting more and more above the clip. Uh, we're about nine games over 500 right now. That's all college and NFL games against the spread and and, win, and point totals plus the NFL. Now, NFL has been just a wonky, wonky league to, to pick this year, but mm-hmm. college, it's getting a little better. But like you said, Vegas, they will tighten this thing up as they go along because they have more information. You, you, crazy play here. I'm not necessarily looking at a line, maybe Georgia to go over and cover at Auburn this weekend, mm-hmm. but I, I oddly do like the point total under Arkansas and Ole Miss. They went under last year. Um, you know, I, I picked the under in the Alabama and Ole Miss game. Never thought that they would hit that clip this year. Uh, so I'm going to go, you know, if I went stone cold lock, uh, you know, my Saturday down South stone cold lock, it's going to be the win total Ole Miss, Arkansas, take the under, and if I'm going to lean and soft lean a, a point coverage, still go Georgia against, against uh, Auburn. Look, Bo Nix made some heck of a plays last week. He's not going to be able to pull pull uh, you know a Houdini out of a hat against the Bulldogs this weekend. All right, he's Jake Wimberly. Once again, you got to give him a follow at Jake Wim, host of the Afternoon Drive on ESPN 105.9 out of Jackson and the website cfbhourglass.com. Jake, thank you so much for joining me once again. Michael, always appreciate it. Have a great week. All right, just want to say thanks to Jake for hopping on the line. Hope you guys appreciated that. Uh, He does a hell of a job there for the ESPN affiliate out of uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And he does a great job with the CFBHourglass.com. If you're not following Jake already, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, That's all he does is uh, college football, and and he does some trolling too. So I do appreciate uh, Jake hopping on the line. And, hey, that's going to do it. A little bit of a shorter one here, but uh, like I said, not a ton going on. Didn't want to leave you guys hanging without a pod for your Thursday 
commute. So we'll be back on Friday with Cousin Shane making our predictions for the upcoming weekend in the SEC. And after last week was a dud, hey, this weekend's got to be a lot better. Who knows? We got some of the top teams in the country traveling this weekend into some hostile environments. Not saying we're going to get it upset, but that's the first step to getting these uh, huge upsets in college football. And uh, I know Shane's certainly hoping there ain't no upset on Rocky Top. So. <laughs> so stick with us. We'll be back on Friday to make our picks. Cannot wait for that. But that's going to do it for this episode. Catch you on the next one.